You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the group think, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the conservative conscience. And welcome back to your only source of independent conservative news and views here at the conservative conscience. This is Daniel Horowitz back in the saddle for a new, very busy week here. Uh, Monday, June 24th. And, you know, this is not even one of the weeks where things heat heats up, you know, stuff heats up early on early Monday as opposed to waiting till later in the day. The news cycle never stopped. <laughs> um, as you see from my Twitter account over the weekend, uh, a lot of you know I don't work on Saturday, so a lot of people I saw were tweeting out, man, when Daniel gets a, gets a load of this, I, I fear for his health. And, you know, of course, Trump calls off, once again, like the 15th enforcement action that is called off later, the next time, the next time. Want more time to negotiate with the Democrats. And, you know, most of my colleagues will continue to kick that invisible football more times than Charlie Brown with Lucy grabbing it away from him. And they'll never learn. They'll never learn that at the time when the president says, base, stand down, that is when we need to stand up. You could do it respectfully, but you got to do it resolutely. Mr. President, no. It's now or never. Here's what you need to do. You're losing this. You're going to lose your own election. This is the time. And frankly, these are the times that try men's souls. This is going to be a tough week. you got the Supreme Court grand finales. None of the huge cases came out, but a very important case a lot, a lot of people are going to miss today. I hope I have time to get to it. If not, I'll have an article out tomorrow. But um, basically, we live in a Jim Crow era against all American citizens, except if you're an American criminal, then then you're kind of cared about, although not as much as illegal aliens, because American criminals, we still do prosecute, even for a short period of time, we'll lock them up, but a short period of time, and as a result, they'll be separated from their kids. When it comes to foreign invaders, well, you're exempt from prosecution because, well, you can't be... Separated from your kid. If you look at everything that's going on in terms of our policies, the focus of our media, including conservative media and even conservative elected officials, it's all about illegals. If there's a sad story about an illegal immigrant dying, even though it has nothing to do with us, and it's merely just a reflection and a consequence of the so-called compassionate open borders, somehow that has to be headline news. But... To this day, when you have a guy that raped a disabled woman twice and incidentally only served nine months in prison, an illegal alien was let go by a sanctuary, wasn't given over to ICE, went back and attacked her and almost killed her. And this moment, as of this broadcast, I haven't checked, I checked a couple hours ago, this guy we spoke about with the ICE agent from Seattle last week, Francisco Carranza Ramirez is still on the streets. Yet it, if a tree falls in the forest, who knows? None of, no one will talk about it. Very few of my colleagues are talking about McAleenan leaking a sensitive law enforcement operation endangering ICE agents, calling on Trump to fire him. I don't know what they're focused on today, but it's not that. And you, you would think this would be kind of sexy for them, you know, leaking information against Trump. You know, you, you, would, you would think it would kind of invoke some of the Mueller stuff. But no, it's almost like you're not allowed to focus on anything important in this business. Man, there's, there's a, lot, a lot going on. I, I, I want to first start off before just giving you my take, some of you might have seen just little bursts of energy from me on Twitter, but the full take on what happened with scuttling this ICE operation, what it means, what's the true story behind it, because I do have this story behind it. I just want to give a general sense 
of the stupidity of the politics of Republicans in the Trump administration on immigration. Now, we shouldn't have to go into polling and politics. Just as a matter of policy, we all know we're going to celebrate July 4th next week. And the essence of it is governance by the consent of the governed, that the citizenry controls their government, that a government has to be of, by, and for its citizenry. Yet we have it now that we have a government of, by, and for foreign invaders at the expense of Americans. Americans just don't matter. Even conservatives, even even people closer to our views here, the best they can muster is, yeah, yeah, please, we got to shut this down because because the migrants, we, uh, they're treatment. And look, it's true. I always give the analogy, if you want to be charitable enough to uh, start having illegals, go ahead and... Um, not illegal, or just you know, have someone give out loaves of bread on I-95, well, a lot of people are going to get killed by that. So, yeah, I mean, it's not good for anyone. But it's like you're not allowed to care about Americans. So it's a violation of the social compact in the highest order. This whole notion that they can get standing and sue us this whole notion that we should have to spend a dime on someone who's not a citizen. I don't mean private charity. I mean the government's resources of the citizenry. Look, you and I are all the same thing. If we saw, not hordes of them because that would be dangerous, but like one illegal alien knock at your door um, and you don't feel threatened and you, you see it in a way that you're not, you don't feel like you're going to get hurt. You'd give them food, of course. I mean, we, we've had um, on the show before some ranchers that are very much for, you know, deporting illegal aliens, but on, on a personal level, yeah, you're going to, he, he talked about that he would go out with the hose and give them water. But the resources of the government of the United States are for its citizens. But you know what? You know, as we celebrate, again, the declaration, all men are created equal. But again, it was talking about not just general human rights. It was more specifically talking about in terms of the governed, in terms of governance and uh, rights as a society. It's talking about citizens. But look, we would be well ahead of where we are today if only we were treated equally, with equal regard. Illegals. How about 50% concern about the security problems and the health concerns and the drugs, gangs, SIAs, cartel people being brought in as a result of these policies? Right? So, on and off with the treatment of the migrants to the facilities, 50%. I'll take that. Because right now it's 0%. But anyway, this is from the Washington Examiner, Paul Bedard. Concern about immigration and its impact on crime and taxes have soared to the highest level ever, according to a new survey. Gallup said that more Americans than ever before cited immigration as their top concern in the latest poll. Americans' concern with immigration continues to be heightened as 23% name it the most important problem facing the country. This is by one percentage point the highest Gallup has ever measured for the issue since it first began recording mentions of immigration in 1993. Okay, it's the highest concern ever. Meaning even higher than in 2014, which was when the Central American started, and 2006 was the other peak. That's when we had that big immigration fight with George W. Bush trying to push amnesty. And remember how much we won that issue back then. So... Even even some of my, again, some of my friends are like, oh my gosh, got to worry the treatment of the migrants. We got to explain to people that you know this is not good for the migrants. I'm like, if you look at the polling that says this is the top issue, it's not because they're concerned about the treatment of the migrants. They're concerned about the cost and the security concerns to Americans. And the proof is in the pudding because the numbers are still low among Democrats. Right? The numbers are still low among Democrats. 
It's independents that are really fueling this. It's mainly mainly independents. But um yeah. You know, they they asked um in this question Please say whether immigrants to the United States are making the situation in the country better or worse or not having much effect. And and notice, the question was immigrants, not illegal immigrants being smuggled by cartels through the border. But even just regular immigrants, the worst was the crime situation. It was a net of 35 points saying negative over positive. Just 7% said made it better. Taxes, a net of 22. You know... Obviously, food, music, and arts, everyone likes that, you know, that, that, that went up. Crime, crime, that, that's what we talk about the whole time. And yet, this party is weak on crime in general, and in particular, criminal aliens. This poll is everything. Very, very important. Anyway, okay, so what happened over the weekend? Um... Look, I'm not breaking any news here just from my sources. You you guys know this already. Tom Homan said this on the record on Fox News. McAleenan, DHS Secretary, the Secretary of Homeland Security, not only doesn't share the goals that the president, at least on Twitter, says he supports, and undermines the operation to, you know, like deport people with final uh, deportation orders. Very, very novel idea. He's opposes it so vociferously that he is willing to leak it to the media and jeopardize the security of agents. Now, what you don't understand, you might have heard it with um, Brian Wilcox, the Seattle ERO field director of the Seattle, of the ICE office there, Sanctuary cities, it's very dangerous if you're going into a place where, to begin with, you have criminal aliens, but you have the political and even law enforcement arms of that community in support of the illegal. That puts you in a very dangerous situation. Now, a lot of people are pointing out, well, Daniel, Trump shot his mouth off for a week. Look, you know me, I ain't going to defend that. I think that was stupid in general, where he continues to telegraph his punch and then doesn't punch, rather than just punch and then telegraph later. Do it, and then give a speech in the Rose Garden Oval Office explaining yourself. But no, that's his thing. But at the end of the day, as Homan said, the president didn't divulge the locations, the time, and the operation. Nick Myroff, the jerk for the Washington Post, who was on the plane to Guatemala with McAleenan, got the information and reported 2,000 families, 10 cities like Miami and LA, New York, Baltimore, whatever. And pre-dawn Sunday morning, and they're going to use hotels as staging grounds. So they called off the operation. Now, a lot of people want to say, well, Daniel, uh, it's not Trump's fault. You see, uh, they compromised the operation. Okay. All right. But who compromised the operation? McAleenan. So, how is it that it's Monday and McAleenan still has a job? And I haven't heard anyone say we're getting rid of him? I haven't heard Trump call him out. I mean, again, this is the only guy who had that information, who would have leaked it. Now, I don't know if he physically told Nick Myroff or he had one of his aides do it, but it was from him. So, you can't have it both ways. If you want to say... This doesn't prove yet again that Trump is so weak, literally parallel to what he did on Iran. Oh, I was going to do it, but I, I, I didn't do it. 
This is becoming a pattern. Notice with everything. We're going to have armed soldiers after they were killed. Uh, not killed, after they were um, attacked by the Mexican forces. Well, nothing changes. And a Marine was attacked a couple weeks ago. We don't. It's a total blackout on what happened there. By the way, there's more news that a second soldier has died at the border. Now, I don't want to run away with that. You know, stuff happens. You know, when you have thousands of soldiers there now doing nothing, but they're there. So, I mean, you could die of natural causes, but kind of interesting. Kind of interesting. It's also interesting, by the way, this morning you'll see headlines. Um, you know, a woman and three kids found dead at the border, illegal aliens. It's like everyone's obsessed with it, but a soldier is found dead and no one cares. And I'm not intimating that it was the cartels or Mexico that did it, did the soldier and it could, it could be died natural causes. I'm just saying it's just as natural as with these, the illegals, unfortunately. But again, it's, you know, Americans, law enforcement, border patrol soldiers, they, they don't matter. Now, of course, it's not news that this stuff happens. The area where the illegals were found dead is, you know, Gulf Cartel territory. And, you know, this is conjecture, but most likely this happens all the time. They tried to cross without paying the piso, and they just made an example of them. And again, that's just yet another reason why this needs to be shut down. We just say you can't come here, so they won't come here. So they won't be victims of cartels as well as Americans being victims of them and the cartels. But I digress. So why is McAleenan still there? Okay, so that's that's number one. Now, one of the most egregious things McAleenan was pushing to the president was, well, if you go ahead and deport people, it will tick off the Democrats and they won't give you the supplemental funding. Now, those of you who follow the show closely will remember from last week that that would be the equivalent of saying, I'm not going to douse the flames with water until you get me more blow tor- torches with which to douse the flames with. Meaning the border supplemental is a bad thing. It funds illegals. It's there's not a dime of enforcement. It's not like, okay, it's 20% enforcement and we badly need that funding. I don't want the Democrats to pull back from it. No. So think about that. McAleenan is convincing the president that it's better to scuttle the one thing you could do to enforce current law under what the powers you currently have without Congress that will absolutely have an effect if you start to have plane loads of Guatemalans, Hondurans going back to Central America. It will dissuade the next people in the pipeline or the people before that from, from making the trip in favor of a funding bill that will help facilitate and fund more catch and release. You can't make this stuff up, folks. But then there's another element of this, too. Notice Trump didn't really tweet about the supplemental or about the security concerns. What was his tweet? Meaning, if you didn't know any of this other information that came out, and again, you know, BuzzFeed reported it, Washington Examiner, others had it that McAleenan leaked it. If you just followed Trump's tweets, which, you know, is where many of my uh, brethren in this industry get their news from, um, guess what? You would think, as Trump said, oh, I need two more weeks to negotiate with Democrats. Where did this two weeks come from? It's it's kind of bizarre. Like, I mean, art of the deal, anyone? Art of the deal is you start to implement your thing that the Democrats don't like, and they're, they know you're serious about it, that's the way to leverage them to come to the table. Instead, this has been a pattern of every time he threatens and then doesn't do it. And it's like, oh, I'll give you more time. Oh, here's another bill. Oh, every single week on every single aspect of this, he pulls back. So that's certainly not the way to leverage the Democrats. What's happening here is McAleenan is but a puppet of a bigger player here. And that's Jared Kushner. 
See, Jared Kushner is working to bring Durbin and Lindsey Graham together to push amnesty. See, Lindsey Graham is up for re-election, and he doesn't want a primary challenge. So he's working on enforcement-only legislation. For the first time in his life, no amnesty. Because, now, obviously that's going to change the minute he skates through a primary, but for now, that's where he is. Durbin's like, hey, buddy, uh, what happened to the old Lindsey? How about we resurrect the Gang of Eight bill? Well, that's where Durbin gives Kushner a call and says, hey, we need your help here. So, rather than enforcing current law unconditionally to leverage the Central Americans to just stop this, we don't need the Democrats. That's the irony. You don't need them. You actually deport people and they won't come. So instead of like, oh, I don't want to deport people because I want to give the Democrats a chance for, for what? So he could strike a gang of eight negotiation. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I will tell you that's what Jared is doing, and that's that's why Trump did this. Because you would think Trump, like Trump, looks very weak by saying. I mean, everyone's laughing at him. Oh, oh, please, Democrats. Yeah, you're right. I'll I'll give you a chance. You would look much stronger just saying, "Look, you know, some jerk leaked this. As as strongly as I feel about this operation, we're going to put it off and change it a little bit because of the security problems." And I'm going to go after the leaker. That's what you would have expected him to say. But instead, it was like this weirdness, like almost like the Democrats control him. That's, that's coming from Kushner. And, Ma- I mean, McAleenan's in with that. But, I mean, it's more Kushner is the man at the top. But you understand, like, this is almost like Trump's extraordinary power. Hey, Democrats, I'm going to pull the this, – this is base law. And listen to the irony of this. Even this is not really the law. It's not the law that you need a deportation order. Congress in 1996 was tired of the lawfare. They understood the ancient principle that if you're here without permission, you have no right to be here. And as long as we're not trying to criminally convict you, if we're just trying to get you out, we can get you out. So they passed something called expedited removal. And that means anyone caught here who cannot prove that they've continuously been here for two years, they're not entitled to any hearing in front of an immigration judge, and they're immediately removed. And when we're talking about Central American families, many of them have been here for less than two years. Donald Trump, in one of the 50 million unkept promises, and I don't mean unkept promises of things that he needs Congress for, like, you know, changing chain migration, that's statutory. That's hard seller. I understand that. I'm talking about things that are merely overturning bad, lawless stuff of previous administrations. Guess what? Five days into his election, he put out a memo on immigration. Section 11C of that memo was to a guidance to DOJ and DHS to implement expedited removal to the extent that statute mandates it. Because previous administrations have barely used it. To this day, it has still not been implemented. Do you know why? I'll give you one guess, and it rhymes with uh, Macalinen. <laughs> okay, so... This is a man that's like, no, no, I don't want expedited removal. Everyone needs to go before an immigration judge. Okay, so here we have 1.1 million people with final deportation orders even after that. And by the way, there's another 1.55 million that have deportation orders, but not final, meaning they're still appealing. These are the ones that went through the appeal, so the immigration judge and then the BIA appellate level. And yet somehow that's like a novel thing that you're not, no, you can't do that either. So here's the problem. Here is where what separates the men from the boys on this issue. All my other colleagues come in and say, Congress needs to act. Um, No, don't lie to me. Don't lie to me. 
If you want to say, I don't have the balls to implement current law, then fine, admit it. I'm too scared. I'm physically, I'm too, I'm terrified. The polling on this issue, oh my gosh. Oh, whoops. The polling is actually really great on the issue. But whatever, they're fake polling in their brains that are messed up. Um, oh, we're too scared. So fine. But don't tell me, it's, you, you can't, on the one hand, have one jerk after another that, that Trump doesn't root out of the, his own administration, refuse to implement current law, but then say, oh, we need new laws. This is where Trump is weaker than Obama. He is actually going and rhetorically repealing existing laws. Until now, it was the left that wanted to change the laws to get amnesty. Now we're saying we have de facto amnesty for any human being who comes here until we change the law. Well, it's never going to change. There's a new thing this administration is doing. This might have started with the courts, and it's still a problem, but they're not even doing the things that the courts haven't yet screwed with. To this day, they haven't overturned the Morton memos on bond hearings for illegals. They haven't overturned. They're still issuing work permits. The law says that under certain narrow confines, you may issue work permits to those who have pending asylum requests. Certainly, under no circumstance, do you have to. Obama administration wrote a guidance. It's very important. There's three levels. I mean, there's really more, but let's just for simplicity's sake, guidance, a regulation, and a statute. It wasn't even a reg. It was just a simple guidance for ICE to release them and give them work permits. And, and indeed, last month, Trump issued a memorandum to say stop doing that. It's still happening. Because what I was told is that this administration, the lawyers in DOJ, in the White House, in DHS, all of them, they believe that even a guidance needs a regulation to repeal it. So it has to go through all these Loop, you know, all the traps they have to run. It takes forever. And then you have jerks in the administration undermining it. So, for example, there's this guy named Paul Ray. He is the acting head of what's called OIRA. O-I-R-A. Office of Information and uh, Regulatory Affairs. That's an agency within OMB, Office of Management and Budget. So, it's actually funny because Naomi Rao, the big libertarian that was put on the second highest court in the land, when we have a lot of concerns about our social views, but she's loved by the libertarian thumb-sucking class, progressive libertarians at that. So she was the administrator. That's where she came from. So now she was put on the bench. So the acting guy, who actually is up for Senate confirmation, is... Um, this guy, Paul Ray, R-A-Y. Now, you have to understand, when you think of regu- regulatory affairs, so, so this is the agency that has to sign off on any regulatory change. So if the Department of Labor, EPA, um, Commerce, you know, you, you usually think of regulations in terms of labor environment, but it's, it's really anything. So you could change policy on immigration. Well, that has to go through OIRA as well. In other words, that has to go to the desk of Paul Ray. Well, Paul Ray is bottling up all of these regulatory changes. So, you know, when we keep asking, why is this, you know, not changed? Why is this continuing to go on? That's a big part of it. And yet this guy's up for Senate confirmation. You know, somehow when Obama or the left, when they want to write a new guidance or a reg, to undermine the letter and spirit of law, of our foundational sovereignty laws. Somehow they don't have an internal problem, like, hey, we're worried about litigation. Hey, we got to go through 50,000 reviews at each level. Somehow they go and do it. Yet when it comes to simply countermanding it, somehow we can't do it. And this is where they're wrong. When an administration issues a guidance, you don't need a new thing to be written to get rid of that. Like, let's say suddenly one administration says, okay, we're going to use taxpayer funding to give every illegal alien a lollipop and an ice cream cone on their way in. The next administration doesn't need to write a new guidance or a reg 
to get rid of that. You just stop doing it. Especially when it's downright lawless and against statute. But that's a big part of what's happening. You go down the list. He won't designate the cartels as terrorists. He won't deploy the military in a stronger way. He won't just refrain from giving them work permits. He won't end the Morton memos. They still haven't changed Flores. There's rumors they might do that. I could go on and on and on. They won't invoke 1182F, obviously. On health grounds, on security grounds, on any grounds. Notice I picked a list of things that have not been in court yet. But now, really, you and I both know that the administration has an obligation at some point, especially given the polling the way it is, to stand up before the American people and say, a district judge from California, when 98% of the family units are not coming in California, does not have the right to overturn settled law, give standing to illegals, and when statute says shall be detained, flip it on its head. And anyway, I have inherent Article 2 powers on the right to entry. This is warfare. No. So God forbid they should ever do that. But they don't even... They don't even do things that the courts haven't screwed with because the dem- anything the left might litigate, the lawyers say, don't do it, Trump. Well, the left is saying, we're going to litigate everything. So therefore, they're going to do nothing because everything will be litigated. So therefore, I'm not going to do anything. So fine, but don't get up there and say, we need new laws. Say, Obama lawlessly disregarded the law And you're treating Obama's lawless disregard of the law as the law. I mean, could you imagine that? Forget about pushing back against the courts. They're going the next level. Like, again, people forget DACA. Whatever happened to that? The court said, issue new APA. How come they haven't done it yet? Wink and nod because all the people in the administration don't want to get rid of it. What, you're going to tell me Obama's amnesty is the law? We need a new law to get rid of Obama's amnesty? Even, even the court didn't say that, as lawless as the court was. What, what's his name? Judge William Alsop in the Northern District of California. A couple others. Um, so there's that. And then, um, you know, even designating the cartels as terrorists. They're like, ah. No, you can't do that. Lawsuit. What about, okay, the military, I'm commander-in-chief. No, you don't understand. You can't use the military on the border. You can only use the military for Afghanistan. I mean, these people are mentally ill running this administration. Yet there's no one to call them out. Don't lie to me and tell me it's a problem with the law. Milktoast John Roberts, of all people, said that 1182F exudes deference to the president on denying entry in every clause of the statute. Said it a year ago, and he won't invoke it. So leave me alone. And, and again, the point I keep making is the irony is we have the Jim Crow for Americans. So... The 50 reasons why this should be shut down, we don't do. Because of Amer- you know the 50 harms to Americans. But what they're stupid about is, what about the conditions of the illegal? So you know, you're only allowed to care about that. What they're stupid about is, they don't want to do anything I'm saying, because, oh, that's too scary. It's too, like, mean. But they're, they're losing the irony. The irony is you're incurring more bad press from doing amnesty, but in the but through the processing, you're going to get the bad press on the horrible conditions in the facilities than just saying, look, in 24 hours, we're sending the military there. No one could come in, and that's it. We're turning you back. Guess what you're not going to have anymore? The bad conditions. You're also not going to have the concerns for the Americans when the American people will thank you for it and you'll do better in the polling than do. 
The worst you'll have is all the Mexicans are mistreating them now. Okay, well, that's better than getting pressed that you're mistreating them. They're stupid. Because the reality is, as much as the left is embellishing, you know, oh, they're running torture chambers as if, like, you know, the border agents are just trying to kill people. The reality is the conditions are pretty bad. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to tell you, there, it's, not, it's not that there's no truth to it. The conditions are pretty bad in these facilities. But now, obviously, it's not their fault. There's no good way of dealing with a situation where 700,000 family units are thrown your way. But again, that's another reason you say, look, we can't do it. We got to clo- close the door. I mean, how hard would it be for Trump to just say, look, aside from the 50 million reasons on crime, drugs, health concerns, strategic cartel, espionage, yada, 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 we're shutting it off. Like, look, we're doing no one a favor, legitimate asylees. We don't have conditions to hold them in. They're being released helter scale. It doesn't help anyone until the backlog is cleared. I'm going to suspend asylum requests. And again, you could have gotten really, he should draw a line in the sand and, and make it very clear the courts have no jurisdiction. God forbid he would do that. But even then, had he done it a year ago when I said he should have done it, it would have been at the Supreme Court already. It's just so dumb. Politically, it's stupid. By continuing the status quo, they're like, oh, Daniel, we can't do this. We can't do that. We can't do this. There's nothing we can do. Oh, there's nothing we can do, Daniel. Oh, that's not feasible. Oh, we can't do that. Really? And the status quo is? You're getting the worst of all ends. This is exactly what the polling was on Obamacare before Republicans managed to turn a winning issue into a losing issue. Anyway, um, so that's, that's the latest going on in immigration. There's really a, a lot more going on. A lot of things to get to. And uh, just just before we move on, I, I want to try to get to a court case and tie in crime with the polling and public safety because it all ties together. It's amazing, again, how immigration and crime tie in together. But, um, geez. It's 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 amazing because I just realized I forgot one detail I wanted to give over to you on immigration. Some of you might have seen this in a Fox News article already, but um, I have in front of me the document that they, they don't link to, um, but I have the document that was given by DHS to the Republican staff of the House Oversight Committee. Jim Jordan, Chip Roy is on that committee. Um, it has like the highest ratio of good members on that committee. So this is old. I mean, this was from February, and where is this? I'm trying to look through it here. They wanted to. They were requesting from DHS information about the caravans. You know, who are these people? Who is pushing it? The groups behind them. It's an eight-page PDF, and they talk about two caravans. One in October. That was the biggest one. And one that left in January. And, you know, in the one that left in January, no, this is the one that left in in October, it said the total number of U.S. criminal convictions was 660, meaning there were 660 criminal convictions in the U.S., among that group, including 38 individuals convicted of assault or aggravated assault with a deadly weapon, 13 individuals convicted of sexual offenses, four individuals convicted of violence against law enforcement, three individuals convicted of murder. There were 24 gang members, including from MS-13, 18th Street, um, Pisces members, Serrano's um, Tango Blast. Nine gang members were positive matches to the transnational organized crime watch list 
And then they say HSI identified the following criminal histories in the January caravan. Now, I want you to understand the January caravan, they said, was 3,345 individuals. Okay? I want you to keep that number in mind. 3,345 individuals. Okay, you ready? Are you ready? The total number of U.S. criminal convictions was 860 to include... 22 individuals convicted of assault or aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. 27 convicted of sexual offenses. Three individuals convicted of alien smuggling. Two individuals convicted of violence against law enforcement. 47 gang members, including 33 from MS-13. I want you to understand that. What's 860 divided by, what was the number I said? 3345. Okay, I got my calculator out here. That's 25.7%. Now, granted, a lot of them were career criminals, so these are offenses, so there's probably a lot of multiples. It's not 25.7%, but if you would put the convictions relative to the people, it's 25%. These are, okay, here's the deal. These are criminal convictions already in the U.S. of people coming in a public caravan where they know they're going to be scrutinized, where they know intelligence is going to be on them to the United States. That's how, see, some people think, oh, Daniel, I understand you have criminals among everyone, but these are really like amazing people. And look, they're not all criminals, but to understand the pervasiveness of this, of the public security threat, these are the ones that came in openly in a caravan, not the hundreds of thousands, you know, uh, the border chief, uh, uh, Carla Provo said that, likely well over 100,000, and she said it was an understatement. The, we always talk about the gotaways, the people that pay more because they have criminal records to get in and not surrender, to get in while the agents are tied down. But we're talking about the ones that are coming publicly. These are the known convictions already having been in America. Do you know how many levels below that there are that are still a problem that are unaccounted for? Well, how many criminal arrests... As, as you well know, so many arrests don't lead to convictions, even if they're the worst human beings around. And then, look, I mean, these are just the guys that this is their second or third time around in America. They were previously deported and trying to get back in. How many were never here but had criminal records in their home countries? How many do we not have a record of their criminal record in home countries but are nonetheless prone to criminality once they come here? This is what we know from criminal convictions in the U.S., of the guys publicly willing to come here in a public caravan. Now try to think about all the gotaways. How hard is it, Mr. President? How hard is that, Mitchie McConnell and Republicans, to get up before the American people and say, look, I mean, I say this all the time. The right to bear arms shall not be infringed. It says that in the Constitution. But even pro-gun enthusiasts like us agree that it only goes so far. That a state could say you can't carry a bazooka into a school or a, a, a courthouse. Now, really what they do is they screw with the entire Second Amendment. Because, you know, it's a real constitutional right, so therefore it's not guarded. But, you know, even we agree that it wouldn't go that far. Even if it would say the right to immigrate shall not be infringed. Everyone agrees that if you had so many criminals strategically using this and the cartels strategically bring them in to tie down the agents so they can get in the criminals, you'd be able to say, look, this has got to be shut down. All things equal. And again, the Constitution doesn't say that. But all things equal. Okay, you have will get accord you the opportunity on an individualized level to apply for asylum. But all things are not equal. If you have masses of thousands of people, which the laws were written in singular singular language for individuals, not for a, a, an invasion, but then you have cartels in between, then you have criminals, you have everyone taking advantage of it, you got to shut it down. The president made this case months ago and he backed off. Is it that hard? Evidently it is. The American people don't know don't know the half of this. They don't know the half of this. 
And yet still, look at what the polling is on immigration and crime. And again, that's legal immigration. That is legal immigration. Um, I don't know what to tell you, folks. They're, they're just stupid. They're stupid. Even politically. They just don't get it. They just don't get it. It's funny, Tom, Tom Cotton was just asking this. If we can't deport illegal immigrants with final deportation orders, who can we deport? Nobody. We evidently can't even deport a guy who twice rapes a disabled woman. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's where we are. Unbelievable. But speaking of crime... I'm going to update you on the Supreme Court that came out with cases today, with opinions, that ties into our thesis on the Supreme Court that we established on Friday. I know I got a lot of good feedback from Friday's show. It was a long one where we really gave an exposition on the state of play at the Supreme Court and the courts in general, why they're a one-way street and a dead end. But it's going to tie back to crime. So, see, I told you so. What was the main point of Friday? There's not, there is no five to four conservative majority in the Supreme Court. There is a four to one liberal plurality. The four Democrat appointees, and then on the other end, you have Clarence Thomas. With the other four Republican appointees, to varying degrees, depending on the issue, they always screw us. And it's never the same time. When one's good, the other's bad. When one's bad, the other's good. The sum total is we almost never get enough votes for what, what needs to happen. Last week was primarily Kavanaugh screwing us, and Gorsuch was generally better. Well, now it has flipped. Gorsuch wrote the majority opinion, him and the four liberals against the four Republican appointees, and ironically, Kavanaugh wrote the dissent in another criminal alien case, yet another case where the courts are saying um, the crime of violence statute is unconstitutional and therefore Thousands upon thousands of federal criminals convicted of using a firearm in a crime of violence. These are the worst people. We talked about this a lot when we talked about jailbreak last year. A lot of the people, I don't think in this particular court case, but in general, a lot of the people convicted on 924s on the Armed Career Criminal Act which, by the way, was the centerpiece of the Reagan anti-crime agenda, which took the bad guys off the streets and led to a three-decades-long decline in murder. Okay? So the, the, we, we now have Gorsuch. Oh, my gosh, the best amazing thing. Oh, my gosh, we just long for this. Undermining the core tenet of the Reagan agenda. And they keep taking bad court opinions and expanding and expanding and expanding them. And it's going to lead to a bunch of people being released. Let's first talk about the legal part, and then we'll talk about the political policy side of crime and what's going on. So basically, in, in 2015, the court ruled in this Johnson case that um, you know, m- many times it says in statute, particularly in the 924s, 18 USC 924 that you know if you are convicted of a certain violent felony or using a firearm on a violent felony there are mandatory minimums and then there's enhanced sentencing for those that had a those who are repeat offenders that had a criminal history using a gun in furtherance of violence or, or not not necessarily in furtherance but together in the act of a violent crime now subsection 2b defines violent crime as including crimes such as assault burglary arson and then there's what's called a residual clause where it says or any crime that quote otherwise involves conduct that presents a serious potential risk of physical injury to another now 
I understand everyone's all into this. Oh, man, you know, you got to have Congress has to write clear statutes and people need the due process and the right to know what's going to be they're going to be prosecuted for. But there's limits. Like, I understand we don't like Congress delegating a lot of authority, but somehow when it comes to criminal law, it's like there's a super majority to go so zealous in the other direction that Congress literally needs to spell out every last thing. And there's a reason for that because it's all political because, you know, Gorsuch personally, to his credit, will be consistent with regulatory crimes, but the left won't be. In this case, we get the worst of everyone. So there was the famous case in 2015, Johnson v. U.S., where they threw out 924E. That was the mandatory minimum sentence, 15 years, for those who had three prior convictions for a violent felony. Now, remember, violent felony, it's used in many different clauses for many different things. So that was the specific case there, 924E. Then in um, Welch v. United States, a year later in 2016, the court applied that retroactively. Okay? Retroactively. Um which is just unbelievable. And and they're doing that a lot. It's a whole trend that they're applying that they're breaching criminal law and then they apply it retroactively. So it it opened the floodgates for thousands of violent criminals to reopen their cases, many of them getting out. And again, if you are in federal prison on that charge, you are the worst of the worst. That's just how it goes. It might not sound that bad, but it is. So um that was that. Then you had the case we talked about a lot, which was Sessions v. DeMaia, where Gorsuch went – and by the way, Thomas was the only one who dissented in Welch v. United States. To his credit, Alito was really the only one against Johnson. I'm assuming Alito didn't – you know, he opposed the whole underlying thing. But on the once they agreed to it, then he, he wasn't bothered by the retroactivity. Only Thomas was, whatever. You had Sessions v. DeMaio where Gorsuch then ex- joined with the four liberals to expand this to illegal aliens. To say that, hey, when it says in criminal alien law that if you're convicted of a crime of violence, you're deportable. Oh, so that's unconstitutionally vague too. It's unconstitutionally vague. And therefore, you can't deport them. Now, what we said at the time is even if you believe it is const- unconstitutionally vague, you can't apply it to illegals because they don't have a right to be here. Again, this is not – the immigration case wasn't in the context of criminally convicting them to a certain amount of jail time. It was to make it that they're not deportable. They're below the threshold of deportation now. Criminal legal – these are legal immigrants. Um, and that was a case where a guy was a burglar, and it was just ridiculous. So now there's been a flood of hundreds of criminal aliens not being deported as a result of Gorsuch. Incomes today in Davis v. United States, or United States v. Davis, where, um, where is this? I'm just pulling up the case here, where Gorsuch took this to the next level. Took it to the next level. So, the, the other cases were talking about your previous criminal history. In other words, the crime of violence statute, this was 924E, it was referring to, oh, if you commit, let's say, a crime now, it's not a crime of violence, but you had a crime of violence in the past, it will enhance your sentencing. This case was 924C, this is talking about the crime right now that you're being convicted for. Okay? Right now, the one you're being convicted for now is a crime of violence. Now, this statute has stood for 33 years since Reagan. They've convicted thousands of people. The courts never had a problem with it. Suddenly, Gorsuch comes in like, I don't know. I don't, this is too vague. I don't know how to apply it. I don't know what you want from me. Like, give me a break. Give me a break. Anyway, these were individuals that um, they, they were just total dirtbags. Glover and Davis, they're two individuals here. 
they would come in with ski masks, armed robberies, stick, um, what do you call those things? Uh, short barreled shotguns at female employees, order them on the ground. Sometimes they'd point the shotgun in her face. Sometimes they would put the shotgun barrel against her side. While one of them was aiming the short barreled shotgun, another would take cigarettes and demand money. And then they would um, end their crime spree by having high-speed car chases culminating in a car crash. So I want to make something very clear here. There's something, it's, it's a very deep point, but I want to make sure we get this. When you take criminal rights out, of the equation, Gorsuch fully understands this. As we talked about from his great dissent or whatever, concurrence and judgment in the Bladensburg Cross case, he understands the role of the courts. Courts, you have to have a case and a controversy. They rule on cases. Courts don't strike down statutes. Courts don't take a statute and rip them out and say, 924, 18 USC, 924 is ripped out. It's struck down. It's unconstitutionally. No, no, no. You have no right to say that. You are not a legislature. You're not a veto. The Constitution never said that it goes to the courts to veto. What you could say is, I'm not going to convict you. I'm going to vacate your you, Davis, Glover, your conviction because – I don't think that purports to statute. So let's say, um, you know, I don't know. They come in and say, hey, if you don't, um, you know, they have a gun in their hand, or or no, let's let's say let's say they don't have a gun, but uh, I don't know. Well, no, this statute is only having a gun. But I I, I can't think of a good analogy offhand, but um. Is something that that is clear. It's like a it's a stretch. It's not, you know. Would it result in again? What, what's the definition? S- serious potential risk of physical er- injury to another. Okay, let's see. You say that's yeah, kind of a stretch. I I don't like that. I don't like you convicting him under that. Fine, you, you could do that. But in this case, you can't deny that armed robbers. Are included in it. Okay, you can't deny. You might think as applied in certain cases it gets too vague, but what you don't have the right to do is say, because I think in general the clause is too vague, even things that categorically fit under it, you can't convict him because the statute is struck down. You don't have the right to say that. You're not a veto. You don't veto anything. This is such BS. So that's the legal side of it. But be it as it may, this is already the fourth, fifth case like this, and the crime of violence statute is in ruins. So the next logical thing is we could agree or disagree about the vagueness doctrine of Gorsuch and whatever and the four liberals, but be it as it may, we should all agree from a policy political perspective, these are violent criminals, these are the worst of the worst, and the statute needs to be fixed. Again, in my view, it doesn't. But courts are supreme. They're God. Fine. Okay. Why is there no voice amidst this clamor for more benefits to nonviolent offenders who are really violent? They passed the first step act of letting out violent criminals. Now they're on to the second step act. Why is no one getting into Trump's face and saying, Bring the cotton hatch bill to the floor. It is a bill to fix this and, you know, better enumerate, you know, whatever is included in the crime of violence so we don't have these people go- going free. Gun violence. I mean, you could totally jujitsu the gun agenda of the left. Really? Lock up law abiding gun owners and let robbers using pointing guns at people out of jail. It's not that hard. Look at the polling on this issue. Crime, drugs, gangs, cartels, illegal immigration, criminal aliens. This is so easy and it ties back into the courts. We have no vision in this stupid, pathetic loser room movement, if you want to call it a movement. See my point? We, we could talk academically about the, 
stupidity of Gorsuch on these issues. And again, he's good on other issues. Criminal law, he's horrible. Again, I understand if you want to be into this thing, oh, you know, um, don't delegate authority. But he's way too strict on criminal law. He's way out of bounds. Jeez, this is so frustrating. Man, this is frustrating. Look, we have more cases coming out on Wednesday. Um, Thank God the big uh, census and redistricting case didn't come out. I guess that will be Wednesday. I might try to sneak in tomorrow, Colonel Steiner, to have an update on Iran. Because, you know, it looks like the court's not going to issue opinions tomorrow. But um, we have a whole other piece on the danger of not having a wall around the bends of the river with illegals teeming through our communities in South Texas. I'll link that in show notes. We'll talk about that more tomorrow. Look, I'm going to try to do my best, as always. Got to keep my cool here. But we need to grow this movement. I need you to subscribe on iTunes. I need you to get 10 other people to subscribe to this show. We need to pressure and shame these members into at least acting for law-abiding, peaceful Americans. Is it too much to ask that we be protected from crime, a core job of government, and protected certainly from foreign criminals, or do foreign criminals have more rights than Americans? Sadly, unless the squeaky wheel starts squeaking, unless we speak up, Well, it's the squeaky wheel that gets oil. And in our media political class, the squeaky wheel are criminals and certainly foreign criminals. And that's why our media focus and our political focus reflects that. It reflects their desires and needs, not the desire and needs of those that created this federal union we're going to celebrate next Thursday. Until tomorrow, God bless you all. This has been another episode of the conservative conscience.